everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast, your number one source for Pioneer news. I'm Tannen, as always, joined by Ross Miriam. How you doing, Ross? Tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shouldn't even ask. I knew it was coming, but... Uh, I'm actually less tired today. Yeah. Oh, uh, did you get a little more sleep this weekend than normal, or...? You know, a couple weeks off from tournaments, sleep a little bit more, uh, you know, didn't have as hectic a day today as last week, you know, uh, so... Monday's been a little smoother. I'm hoping your next couple weeks are hectic because you got the the envy coming up, and then hopefully the PC after that. Yeah this this week is going to be pretty hectic. Uh, but after today, I've got you know back to back days of doing versus live, and then everybody coming in, and some people are already here and have arrived early, and you know then we've got the festivities of SCG Con Thursday through Sunday, and yeah, so the the this week will be hectic, but. The last two haven't, so this is sort of the calm before the storm. Next Monday, I will be very tired. Yeah, maybe we'll move the episode to Tuesday or something. <laughs> I don't know. We might give you a little extra time off. Or uh, what was we got to make sure you get your nap in before the before the episode. That might be a good a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Did you do anything fun this weekend? Uh, not really. Uh, just hung out with some people. Um, yeah, yeah. Went out with intern Rob one night. Had a few beers. Mm-hmm. Talked about his shoe collection. Yeah, it was accosted. Rob's beard was accosted by a very intoxicated woman. <laughs> Every time you tell the story, I think of the uh, the 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 old lady that accosted us in that Philadelphia bar after one of the opens. Oh it's a long yeah, story I don't need to go through. She talked your ear mistake, off. Yeah, I made the mistake of engaging her in oh, conversation, yeah. and <laughs> uh, that did not stop. Well, you saved you saved Caleb because she was getting on Caleb's nerves quite a bit, and then yeah. you kind of like took one for the team or whatever. So that was nice of you. I did. I I dove on that grenade. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say uh, I had an interesting weekend. Um, for anybody who is either uh, follows me on like Twitter or anything that I'm into, or Todd Anderson on Twitter, or whatever, there was a uh, there was a football game this weekend that was kind of a big deal. Uh, depending on you know where you follow the rankings number one and number two LSU versus Alabama played this weekend and I'm an LSU alum Todd is like the biggest Alabama fan of the world so we always have kind of like a what's the right way to put this kind of like a you know a gentlemanly uh like fight over the game friendly rivalry yeah friendly rivalry it sounds too tame but we're we're, we're pretty but we're respectful so a gentlemanly uh rivalry I guess I don't know but Anyway, so uh, the, the Tigers were victorious for the first time. And I think about like almost like 10 years. Um, it's been a while <laughs> and uh, we actually scored points this year, obviously, because we won. It's been real bad going, but um, we're on the fast track to winning a national title this year. So it looks pretty cool. Uh, you know, didn't really expect it coming into the season. They're definitely playing a lot better than I than I thought. And it's just been fun. And the game was really good, too. That was that was a big deal. You know, like there wasn't a blowout on either side. It was super close the whole way very entertaining and stuff. Probably one of the more entertaining football games I've seen in a long time. So that was a lot of fun this weekend. I, I kept telling you that LSU was going to win. I don't know why you didn't believe me. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, Ross was, uh, I was freaking out in a bunch of message groups and on our, on the uh, pioneer cast discord and Ross very, uh, very sincerely was telling me that LSU was going to win. It could never lose. It was the utmost sincerest thing I'd ever heard from you, Ross. Yeah, they were very likely to win, Tannen. It would have taken a miracle, like an 85-yard touchdown pass, followed by a recovered onside kick, and then another touchdown. It was, And, and none of those things happened afterwards. Oh, yeah, none of them, Ross. Almost all of those things happened, Ross. <laughs> 
<laughs> like almost all of them. Very anyway, unlikely. Anyway, uh, there was some magic news in the new format today. There, there was a banning, and uh, you know, if, if I had to bet going into today, you know, and I was, I'm a betting man. If I had to bet, I would have bet no changes going into today. I think, I think that was the the, the favorite by not not like a large margin, but the favorite. Yeah, I am not a betting man, but I would have bet the same. Yeah, and then if I ha- if you were like, okay, well, one card's going to get banned. What color is it going to be? I w- I would have bet green. And I would have been right, but I would not have gotten this card. What about you? Um, no, not even. Close. <laughs> so, um, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about or hasn't heard about the banning yet, Veil of Summer was banned today. Now, this is a card that a lot of people, you know, there's been a lot of Twitter discourse on this. Like, they want to get this card removed. A lot of people are calling it the the Green Cryptic Command or the the green pyroblast, I think, is a more like closer analogy. I mean, the card, it's kind of just like its own thing. The card is heinous. I will say that I think I've said that exact phrase before on this on this uh, on this cast. I'm not a fan of it. I didn't expect it to get banned from Pioneer. Um, we'll see if it's going to survive standard next week. But if they're willing to ban it here, you got to believe they're willing to ban it there, right? I don't know anymore. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe. Probably, maybe I. It's, and I, I just I'm, I'm done trying to figure out what they're doing. I say that, but that's a lie. But I want to be done. All right. So, well, then I got a couple more questions. Why Veil of Summer? So I agree with you. The card is asinine. It, it's just, just such a huge blowout. You know, most of these color hoses that they printed. They're, they're all powerful. Devout Decree, Noxious Grasp, Aether Gust, uh, Fry. They're all powerful. But they don't create such huge swings as Veil of Summer does. Because not only is Veil of Summer often a significant tempo swing, because you're spending only one mana, and they're probably spending more than that for whatever, whatever spell you're interacting with. But you're also generating card advantage. This is a clean two-for-one so you're getting card advantage and tempo advantage out of your protection spell in green. It it just doesn't. I it's honestly it's baffling to me that the card even made it to print. But that's true of so many cards they've printed in the last six months that you know I shouldn't be surprised anymore. But the reality is, you know, the the printed reason is that they wanted to increase the ability for mid-range decks to play an interactive game against these green decks, which they thought was suffering because we've seen, and as that makes sense, uh, you know, we've seen the soul type mid-range decks that did well in week one, like sort of fall off. They're kind of on the fringe at this point. Control decks have sort of always been on the fringe of pioneers. Uh, and you know, most decks are not doing a whole lot of interacting, but how much does this really move the needle? You know, if you look at a lot of the decks that did well last weekend, yeah, a lot of them are green. They have two, maybe three Veil of Summers in their sideboard. You know, cutting those, like, how much better does Noxious Grasp get against these decks that they don't get blown out 10% of the time? It's significant. Yeah, like, is it enough? Yeah, but is, yeah. is it enough? I don't know. And I have to imagine what's really going on here is they, for whatever reason really don't want to ban the key offenders, which are Once Upon a Time, 
Oko, Llanowar Elves, and Elvish Mystic, and Nissa, who shakes the world. You could even add Nykthos into that argument because it's technically yeah. a green card right now. It's not really being played anywhere sure. else. Uh, and, you know, not to the effect. Yeah, Nykthos and Nissa are sort of in their own category in that they target mono green devotion specifically. So there's plenty of cards that are a lot higher on my list in terms of neutering these decks than Veil of Summer. Now, you can argue that like they're, they think they're close to where they want to be, so they're making a sort of fine-tune adjustment. And I'm okay with that philosophically. Um, but given the results that we had last weekend, it's hard for me to imagine that we are at that point, that that's all we need is fine-tune adjustments. You know, I, I honestly, I mean, we were both expecting no bans, and I think that would have been fine. Uh, so I, I think we're we can get a little bit more data because I don't see the I don't see the same overwhelming power out of these green decks that I saw in the first week or two from Mono Green Devotion with Leyline and Oath. Uh, you know those decks were doing things that just so far above the curve. And these decks are are they're ultimately playing fair. You know it's a Green Devotion deck. It can make a lot of mana. You know cast a pretty big ballista, but it's not doing it nearly as early. You know, you're not, it's really hard to cast, get your really busted turn two Nissa draws. You can get turn three Nissa draws, but they're fairly easy to disrupt. But the deck is still pretty resilient, as it turns out. And then the other green decks that we've seen, like Simic Stompy, Gruul Stompy, you know, they're just playing Mana Elf, good three drop. That's their plan. You know, and they got, they got a lot of Mana Elves, they got a lot of good three drops. So, you know, that's pretty straightforward. If that's nothing like, you know, that's way above the curve in terms of power level. But I think where these decks, you know, are gaining a huge advantage, not just over blue and black decks where Veil of Summer is big, but over the rest of the field as a whole, is they just have a level of consistency that these other decks don't have. And it's because of Once Upon a Time. You know, we, we talk about the power of the one mana spells being the base of the format. You know, everybody's got their four Thoughtsies, four push, or their, you know, their Wild Slashes and their Swift Spears and their uh, Soul Scar Mages. But when you talk about having eight elves and four Once Upon a Time, you know, they just have the elf like every game. Have you played against these decks? They do, they have turn one elf every game. Yeah, and this is like kind of like what we were talking about before the show. And I talked to some other people today, and they were like, "If you could ban a card, what would it be?" And I was like, "I would ban Once Upon a Time," because I think you, you know, like you said, the consistency there. Yeah, the consistency there is too much. The card is just too good when it's in your opening hand. Um, I was like, if you want to leave that card alone, which it seems like they do, they want to leave a chase rare alone in the newest set that is still printed right you know like this is this is the pack that people are buying off the shelves the most often so they want to leave that rare alone it seems like so well then if that's true how about we try for a little while without both landware elves and elvish mystic how about we just ban one of them you know flip a coin which whichever one ban mystic because landware elves has got like a million more printings yeah. you know what i mean like people can play with their beta landware elves if they want you know, that, that's a that's a weird compromise to like, like have a card on the bait list that's functionally the same as another one. I'm not philosophically opposed to that, but it's clear what the offender is. And it's clear that they don't want to ban it because it will reduce the sales of Throne of Eldraine packs. I don't like it could not be more obvious. There's there's something else that we've talked about in the show before. And I kind of wanted to say a little more on it because there's a possibility of the same thing going on with the card Nick, though, Shrine to Nick's. Now, we talked about possibly banning that card, but we're like, oh, maybe they don't want to because it's cool in other decks and we know Devotion is coming in the um, other packs. I have this to ask you when it comes to, what if that card's getting reprinted? Because, you know, we know these packs are already uh, already done and sealed and ready to go. 
because you know there was the the CVS or Walgreens or whatever debacle where you know packs yeah. got shipped and out they do and someone got some packs. So like there's no yeah the set all the cards are yeah. So what if Nykthos is in that set? Like it's one of the rares or one of the mythics in the set, and they're like, okay, this is this is the worst possible thing for them, right? Like they'd have to ban a card in their brand new shiny you know format that is in a pack that is yet to be opened. Yeah. Like I mean, I I can buy that. Yeah. How would how would that, that's something that has never even remotely like come close, right? Where they have a card coming out in the set that is banned in a format. Like that would just be disastrous. Yeah. Like it would be, it would be a joke. You know, people would love, like love to make fun of this all day. There'd be, there'd be like some meme thing, you know, going on all over Twitter with this. And I think it's a, a good argument. If you want to spec on it, that like Nick, those might even be in the new set. And it might just be that they want to leave the option open for mono blue, mono black, you know, mono white, mono red, and have this card be possible in those. And they think that, you know what, hey, we'll just, we'll weather the storm. And when the new set comes out, we'll ban once upon a time. And then this deck's not egregious anymore. And Nikthos is fine. You know, you're still having to make, you know, make this payoff. But man, this deck is good. And I just don't think this is the way to do it. I think is that, you know, the, the, the roundabout long thing that we've been saying here is really you're you're banning a two or three of sideboard card while i do think the card is is atrocious like you've said like uh what's what's the way the kids say it? this ain't it you know like yeah this, this ain't it i don't this know ain't it. Beef. yeah <laughs> showing off my age here so very interesting ban from them today um i do like that we're getting some you know some discourse along with it like this is why and you know what it does make sense like you said like we have just completely seen the mid-range decks fall off the table. I mean, like, they just haven't been there. You know, you're not even seeing, like, the Grixis decks or the black-red, like, removal Thoughtseize piles with Anarchist and stuff anymore. Like, those decks just, they can't keep up. You know, like, they can't keep, like, if the other t- if the other player goes, like, Elvish Mystic and you don't kill it, or, you like, you Thoughtseize them and they have multiple payoffs, you're dead. Like, you're not, you're, your deck doesn't generate enough speed, enough tempo, or enough card advantage to keep up with these green decks and stuff. So... Uh, yeah, this is just a symptom. Uh, I think this is just a symptom of the problem that's happened over the last few years where like they've just been given green everything, you know, like it's just been getting a lot of the really strong cards, but it's also getting card we, advantage. We and- literally knew this like two years ago and they keep doing it. it yeah. It's absurd. Oh, just stop. Please stop. <laughs> I like playing green decks, but this is, uh, this is asinine. It's just, yeah. you're, it's getting out of hand. Just, just don't do it anymore. So it makes you think that there's other factors at play. Like, I mean, they printed a lot of powerful cards in the last six months. What's up with that? Like cards that like didn't take us a while to figure out, you know, even with something like, with like, em- even with Emrakul, a card that ended up getting banned, there were people that were doubting that card. You know, not, there, there were plenty of people that were like, this card's insane. And they were right. Um, because, and I think a lot of it came down to people that were around when Mindslaver was seeing a lot of competitive play and understood just how powerful that effect was um, versus people that hadn't seen it before. But it took a little a little while for people to figure out exactly how to use that card. And it took a little while for the decks to get refined and for them to take over uh, because it was a card that like you had to work for, but it was a powerful enough payoff that ended up being too good. You know, a similar thing happened with Smuggler's Copter, not as, you know, don't, you don't have to work as hard for that one, but um, you know, still, you know, it wasn't a card. It was a card that was like, yeah, these stats look really good. Uh, and people started playing it pretty quickly, but it didn't get out of hand like immediately. And you look at, you look at a card like Teferi time raveler or a card like once upon a time. And 
I, maybe I, I shouldn't say this because I was very off about once upon a time, but I was in the, I was in a small minority and most of the people that looked at that card said, like, what are you doing? You're giving us another free spell. This is ridiculous. Uh, and it turns out like, yeah, it is ridiculous. Um, like, you, you didn't have to play with the card for very much, very long to figure that out. You know, in decks where your opening hand is really important, the card is incredibly strong. And, you know, those kinds of decks get overpowered when they get too consistent. So just what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, I made the joke with a friend today that I was like, I feel like what's been going on in, you know, standard and all these new cards the last few years is that um, a lot of commander, like you've seen the commander kind of come into it. Like there are these really powerful planeswalkers and these cards like Veil of Summer, they're like, I really don't like, because like commander players really don't like their spells getting countered, right? You know, they really like their stuff to resolve and their creatures and like you get to play these really powerful effects. And I was like, man, it's, this it's starting to feel like that quite a bit. You know, nothing against that format. It's not for me, but other people love it and it's a great format. It's actually the most popular format in all of Magic, you know, so, you know, whatever, more power to those people. But, you know, I was like, man, leave Standard alone. <laughs> like, yeah. like let, us, let us play some, some healthy Magic because can you remember the last decent Standard? It's been a while. But anyway, all right, let's stop being oh, negative. Well, I, I think Standard was good before War of the Spark. Okay, I, I, can, I think I can that, hear that. I think Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Legion, those standard environments were good. Yeah. As soon as it was, it was War of the Spark that ruined everything because Teferi made counter spells previously unplayable. And, uh, you know, that sort of uh, imbalanced the metagame. So, like, decks that would normally get preyed upon by Absorb started becoming a little bit too good. And then, um, you know, that, that like we, he just like didn't have that check uh, because a single card invalidated them. And then the aggro decks ended up sort of getting invalidated too because of how powerful um, Field of the Dead was. And those escape shift decks that like, you know, because of our Boreal Grazer and like they had just enough like good ramp and def defensive measures to beat the aggressive decks. But the decks like that would normally get destroyed by control decks because they're so threat light and have so much air, but instead it, you gave them a, a win condition that's a land and, you know, a card that says your counter spells don't matter. And so they just had cards that completely shifted the matchup around from where it would be on a uh, strategic level and shifted it in a tactical way by just invalidating huge swaths of their cards. So it, to me, we had good standards for a while because there was a couple of years where it was bad around like collected company time um, and into the energy bands. And it looked like it was being turned around. And then the last six months, they just threw it all all away. They threw it all to shit. And now we've just <laughs> got piles of broken cards. And I, I just, I, it's, it is, they cannot possibly test as much we, as we might think they do. Oh, because I've, I've been saying that for a long time. Two people in like playing for three hours a day for a week could have figured out that these cards were too good. So right. I'm gonna try to. Call I don't you know down. what I don't know what they do, but clearly it's not enough, or clearly they just don't care enough. And the, like financially, printing busted cards is better for them for what some reason. So yeah. like, clearly, there's something that was some variable that we're missing, or you know, they're just not doing as much work as we think they're doing. Uh, Por qué no los dos? I, I think it's just yeah. Both. yeah. Sure, could be both. Yeah, but uh, I was about to say okay. So a little negative. Let's actually move on to our next item, which is the PTQ results for this weekend. There was a Pioneer PTQ and the winner, uh, brand new deck, actually, you know, a deck that we haven't talked about a lot. 
Um, we've talked about this kind of archetype kind of, but like it was a more mid range. The winner was a mono black aggro deck. You know, we've seen, um, it was a Clyde Drexler with the mono black, like mid range deck, you know, a little bit of devotion kind of theme there going was an on to that deck, but not nearly as much right. as this one. Yeah. And this one's pretty sweet. So like the core of the deck, you're looking at four blood soak champion four Knight of the Ebon Legion and four night market lookout, baby night market. Lookout takes down another tournament. And then you, you follow it up with Scrap Heap Scrounger, Wrinkle, and Murderous Riders. And you got a nice little core of creatures. Uh, all of them are pretty resilient, either come back or can grow or, you know, do some removal. Like, they, they create some kind of advantage, or they're just really fast and very efficient. And then you, you know, round it out with four Fatal Push, four Thoughtseize, four Smuggler's Copters, and you got yourself a deck. You know, you got yeah. a bunch of Swamps in here, four Mutavolts, and four uh, Castle. It's Lothwain, right? Yeah. As well, that card is really good, you know, because you're going to be playing a lot to the board early and this lets you refill your hand. This deck looks nice on paper. And I know you and I got to play a little bit into a match. Uh, how did you like this one when you played it? Um, I liked it quite a bit against decks that were trying to interact with me. This deck is very good against decks that are trying to kill your creatures because it has so many recursive threats, because it has so many threats that can card advantage, Smuggler's Copter, like a threat that is can difficult to deal with. You need instant speed spot removal of a certain type. So you're gonna survive sweepers against like Azorius Control. And then you've got card advantage from your lands, just sort of bit baked in, into the deck. Four Mutavolts, which are tough for, you know, reactive control decks and mid-range decks to deal with. You have good removal of your own to deal with Planeswalkers or big threats that they might play. Like um, I killed a, a Lyra Dawnbringer out of a deck, you know, or like a Jace against a control deck. So, and then on top of that, you're pretty fast. You know, 12 one drops, you know, eight two drops, or 13 one drops, eight two drops is a pretty strong curve. Uh, so, I, on paper, this deck looks great, and I like. I love uh, aggro decks that have pretty high land counts, but plenty of ways to use extra mana. And you know, this one, despite its very low curve, you know, the curve stops at four, and those are only three four drops. There's plenty of ones. You'd think a deck like this might play twenty one lands, maybe in that range. It plays twenty four because Mutavolt and Castle Lockthrain are so powerful, and so that means you're like, and you have Knight Ebon Legion to sink mana into as well. So, and the Smuggler's Copper to pitch extra land. So plenty of ways to utilize them. So you're you're not going to miss land drops early that often. You're not going to flood very often. Plenty of ways to use your mana. That's a recipe for incredible amounts of consistency. Your disruption package is good. Uh, and your creatures are efficient. So uh, I, the deck on paper looks really good. Where I struggled, you know, and small sample size, was against the green decks. You know, that they just were too consistent through my disruption and their creatures dominated combat. You know, I have a bunch of two ones and three twos that can't block and they're playing, you know, three mana five fours. If I couldn't get ahead because, you know, they played an elf on the play uh, or, you know, I stumbled at all, then they just buried me. Uh, now granted, I'm sure, you know, Blastoids, who's played this deck, beat a bunch of green decks on their way to winning the tournament. They beat, uh, you know, a Simic Stompy deck in the finals. So uh, I would have to do a little bit more work Uh you know, to suss out just where, uh, you know, my problems were specifically, maybe I'm not approaching the matchup correctly. Uh, and also that, you know, this deck is a clear winner from the Veil of Summer ban. You know, your Noxious Grasp from the sideboard, your Fatal Pushes are a lot easier to resolve. Uh, and even your Murderous Riders uh, are swift ends. So uh, I, I think there's a lot to like about this deck. I think it being a clear winner from the ban is also good. Uh, and it's definitely a deck that I expect to see this weekend at the Invitational. Yeah, I was a big fan of this when we messed around with it. Um, you and I talked about cards that we thought were like underplayed or were po poised to make breakouts in this format, you know, do better. And we're talking about Smuggler's Copter and Mutavolt. This is a deck that has four of each, 
and utilizes them very well, right? You know, it's a, I like Mutavault. It's just a way to kind of like have a land also be a spell. It's a good, you know, use of your extra mana, like you were saying, you know, all those kinds of things. And this is one of the better Thoughtseize decks I've seen. You know, you're not trying to play these super long games where like Thoughtseize doesn't necessarily have as big of an impact, where this one we're like, you know, you're you're mixing it in along with, you know, developing a threat every turn. And the card that impressed me the most out of this that I like, you know, I know the card's powerful when you look at it, but I didn't know how it would play out in this format was Rankle. Rankle was really impressive in the games that we were playing. You know, even if we weren't even activating any of the abilities, some of the points of time, just having the option to do it the way that your opponent has to play against this card is very good. Not to mention that you're going to be interacting with your opponents like Landware Elves and stuff like that pretty often with, you know, Fatal Push, trying to make sure they can't get out ahead of you. And then they get that one big payoff and Rankle just really, really hurts them when they do that. You know, they, you know, they get their one big like Lovestruck Beast or Steel Leaf Champion or something like that, whatever it is you want to, you know, say, you know, when we get into the, the other decks. And I, I just like the, the the punishing effect that this deck can have on those. I agree. I think uh, Rankle was definitely impressive. We, we saw some early versions of this deck, 5-0 in Leagues, um, and they had main deck Kalidus in that spot. This list moves the Kalidus' to the sideboard, plays Rankle on the main. I think that's a great choice uh, and one they undoubtedly got very paid off for. My one issue with the deck and how it's constructed is the amount of discard there is. You know, we already have the Thought Seasons in the main, and then there's four duress, three Kite Cell Freebooter in the sideboard. I've never been a big fan of Kite Cell Freebooter in decks like this because you think of it as being like a discard spell attached to a body. That's great, but you're usually bringing in those discard spells against the decks with lots of removal. And so that means the body is probably just going to get killed and it's not going to do a whole lot. Uh, so I'm not, I, I think it would be quite good against a, a deck with minimal removal, like Simic Nexus, but that matchup already strikes me as being very good because you just have, you know, good mm -hmm. pressure, good disruption. Um, and so I'd like to see the sideboard be a little bit more diversified instead of just half extra discard spells. Um, there's not really a good mono black planeswalker for this deck. Like Lily Last Hope is okay. Um, it doesn't really fit your theme though. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. Um, there's, uh, I just want that sort of pivot threat. I'm not, not sure what that would be. You know, we have, there's a Singleton Bruin Raider here. That's an okay card advantage card, uh, but not a great one. So I, I don't know what can go in those spots. I like everything else. I love the Disfigures. I think Kalidus is a great sideboard card. Noxious Grasp is, Grasp is obviously great, as is Duress. So, um, you know, a, a really you know, very tight deck list. It's mostly fours, but the fours are good. I like the one extra one drop in this Singleton Gutter Bones. Uh, there's a lot of different good ones. So I'm not sure if Gutter Bones is the best one to be playing here, but you know, most of the one mana two ones do enter tapped in mono black, which is a little bit of a nombo with Smuggler Copter. Um, but Gutter Bones is fine. Uh, you know, I love Rankle at the top of the curve. A card I kind of want to try out in a deck like this is Mogi's Marauders. Maybe that's a sideboard card. Uh, it could be good oh, I like that. in combat oriented matchups where you're generally racing. Like the, the, this deck doesn't really have the ability to sort of, you know, control the battlefield outside of an unanswered Kalidus, which doesn't happen that often. So I think you're going to be racing a lot in matchups, especially against the green aggro decks and Marauders might help you do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is I really liked the interaction between cards like Gutter Bones, Bloodsoak Champion and Scrappy Scrounger with cards like Wrinkle and Smuggler's Copter. Like you always having some kind of, uh, you know, not just an extra land lying around. Like you have something that you can discard to kind of have some value, you know, because you can get it back in some way late in the game. So it's always nice to have like, something that you have like discard fodder, you know, sitting around. But I do want to talk about the deck that 
was second place in the finals. It's Suceres again, another, you know, we've, we've mentioned the show a lot. Uh, I've got to believe he's one of the trophy leaders in, in, in the format. He's been playing yeah, this deck since the beginning, really. He finally yeah, and, with it. Yeah, and so this deck, like you said, we're kind, of, we're kind of back full circle, though. I think this is a little bit better version of the deck. We're looking at like a blue-green aggro deck. And so we're looking at the t- typical green package of we've got four once upon a time and the eight elves. And then, like you said, there's going to be a bunch of payoffs. There's even two Gilded Goose in this deck just to make sure that you're utilizing all of your mana early. And you're looking at a lot of cool payoffs here. You're looking at four Love Struck Beast, uh, four Steel Leaf Champion. There's three Galta Primal Hunter in this deck. And then there's four Oko, which is like kind of, I think, a, a reason you're leaning into Gilded Goose a little bit too. Just another one drop, like where you can go forest into have a blue source, you know, on, on turn two. Yeah. Deck only plays 12 blue lands. You don't really want more than that. Big Central and Harbor is a tough uh, add. Uh, just the Yavmiko Sanctums and Breeding Pools. So the extra blue sources are nice. The extra mana creatures are nice. Like th- this, if you look, this deck has two 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 drops and two ha- copies of Heart of Kieran. The original list was playing Smuggler's Copter to go along with the one ones. Uh, looks like Sussurus really wasn't a fan of that. Those became, I believe, two Heart of Kieran, two Gilded Goose. I think those were not in the original list. But other than that, it looks exactly the same to me, at least in the main deck. Sideboard has certainly changed a bit. And it, you know, the plan is one drop on one, three drop on two, Three drop on three, and if I still need something big, I've got Galta. Uh, I like I like all the creatures. The Steely Champion has been really awkward to play against because I keep trying to block it or wanting to block it with cheap <laughs> creatures. Uh, you know, yeah. Love Strike Beast is sometimes a little bit of card advantage uh, generating that extra body. Um, you know, I, I love Questing Beast and Surak a lot in this deck. Surak in particular, giving Galta haste is uh, a big game. Yeah, I think we just straight up died to that because we played against this deck. There was a turn where like we were like, oh, we're going to be fine. And then they they had a hasting Galta. Yeah, we took 17. Yeah, and not to mention that this deck also plays four Stubborn Denial. That's the other blue card in. You've got Oko and Stubborn Denial. It's the main deck cards. And you're looking at four of them. So in a lot of these turns where like you're playing a three drop on two and then a three drop on three, you have a Stubborn Denial up. And this is the kind of deck that if it ever gets a Stubborn Denial you, you're dead. Like that that's going to be enough. This is a deck that... Uh, you think of the really hyper-aggressive decks being the ones that kill you on turn four. You know, this deck kills on turn four if it has, like, a Surak. I guess there's only one Surak, but, like, that can kill on turn four or come pretty close to it, uh, you know, with the Haste creatures or maybe even with Heart of Kieran. Um, but it also has some, like, just enough interaction to be good, and its cards are just all above rate. Just so many three-mana, four- and five-power cards. Uh, you know, you just generate so many boom booms that eventually <laughs> your opponent just runs out of removal for them because you know decks aren't overloading on removal right now and then look at you know they're looking at the a board of like reflector mage and thraven inspector or you know some cheap red creatures and like you're just the biggest thing around in almost every match yeah and i gotta make one more shout out for a card in this deck there are four life crafters bestiaries in the sideboard this is a card that was like pretty big towards its own time in standard like towards the end of it it got to be pretty popular, but this is a three man artifact that at the beginning of your upkeep, you describe one. And then whenever you cast a creature spell, you may pay a green. And if you do draw a card, so like any of the matchups where like you're trading resources back and forth, or you do play against someone who's got a lot of removal, like this card's really going to shine. And you see that this sorcerer has had four of them. So he knew we're like possibly one of the, you know, maybe weak spots of his deck was, and has something like this just, four of them in the sideboard and just showing you how important he thinks that might be in some of these matchups. And that's a card that this is a sweet car, uh, sideboard card for green decks, especially if 
you have to start moving this way because I do think this is going to be more Green's identity in the future when you have like maybe another ban or two uh, and you can't play the like devotion strategies as much. This would be more of the way of like the 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 that Green would go because I do think that Elvish Mystic and Land Worlds are still very powerful even without Once Upon a Time. And that yeah. this is how green is going to survive. It's just that like they'd be a little bit less consistent. And I think that's the edge that they, they're just getting on people. Um, but I do agree. I, I like a lot of these cyber cards. I think sleep is great. Just like I, I noted Mogus's Marauders for the mono black deck. Sleep is sort of like this deck's version of it. It's a little hard. Well, to yeah, guess. of course. You never, you never get enough. That's why you're always tired. Yeah. I love sleep. Uh, yeah. But like, this is a card that will just win those games where the, the board stalls, you know, I, I watched it, uh, Todd actually lost to Cesaris in the quarterfinals of uh, Todd Anderson in the quarterfinals of this tournament. You know, I watched him get sleeped in one of the games. It, it just ended the game immediately. Game's over. So if we take a look at the uh, the third place deck. It's it's the same strategy. You're looking at the the blue green stubborn denial like creature deck, but you're looking with like a slightly different kind of payoff system. You're still looking at four love struck beasts, but you're looking at this has two Reality Smasher, four Thought Not Seer, and three Wicked Wolf. I know for a fact you didn't love this as much as the second place list. Uh, overall, yes. Uh, but that's mainly because I don't like the Eldrazi. So like this deck has a significantly higher curve. You know, there's more twos. We see Smuggler's Copter alongside Heart of Kieran. But there's not as many threes because in order to fit the Eldrazi, there's fewer green sources. So, you know, you can't play Yorvo and Steel Leaf Champion. This deck has more four drops with the Thought Not Seers. And, and I just don't think Thought Unseen and Reality Smasher are that good um, in the format right now. The card I do like in this deck quite a bit is Wicked Wolf, because I think that card is very good in the green mirrors. Um, you know, it's a card that can dominate a battlefield while also giving you a significant tempo boost by being, a, you know, a creature that fights something. Either you, fight, you can fight a mana creature or, you know, if you have an extra food lying around from your Goose or your Oko, it can just fight you know, a Steel Leaf champion or a Yorvo, put that trigger on the stack, sack your food. So I, I think that's a card that we're going to see come up more often. Um, this weekend, I think you'll see more green decks with Wicked Wolf, either in the main deck or in the sideboard, to be good in mirrors, because it is definitely one of the better cards there. Um, and, you know, but I think we'll see green decks move to more of that food shell that we just saw on Standard. Um, because that card just jumps off the page to me as something that is really good in these matchups. Yeah, and, and saying that, I think that's possible if you want to like look at this deck and you do want to maybe change something up, maybe thinking about getting that third copy of Gilded Goose in the main might be a thing, just to make sure you have that extra food sitting around for Wicked Wolf on the turn that it comes out. That's just something to maybe think about. And I will... I play 12, 12 mana creatures. Yeah, is that I, too many? I, I do want to say one thing. This is a green deck with creatures that has zero once upon a time. Just, just saying it. Just, just, just putting it out there. There's zero once upon a time in this deck. Next on the list is one that has two once upon a time. So how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, it makes more sense in this one to play less of them because of the way the deck's playing out. Like they're trying to be super aggressive. You never want to cast the card. But I will say this. I have a friend testing the deck right now for the Invitational. And they said the first thing they did was put the third, fourth, once upon a yeah, time. I definitely think you want the third and fourth copies. This is JMM's Gruel Stompy deck. So it's very similar in build to the Simic versions. But instead of touching blue for Oko and Stubborn Denial, we're touching red, mainly for Goblin Rabble Master and Legion Warboss. Though it's a little bit heavier on the red. Um, so there's some advantages and disadvantages to going this route rather than the big beefy green creatures. Uh, we still see Lovestruck Beast because that one is not only, you know, still just good with all the mana creatures, it's also good with Warboss and Rabble Master uh, to get you that one one that you need. 
uh, and we still see Questing Beast. So, you know, similar curve, similar game plan. We're going a little bit wider. Uh, so that makes you better against removal if you can get your goblin to, you know, make a token or two before it dies. I do have one issue in that uh, there's overlap in the removal that kills both the goblins, three dark goblins, and the elves, namely Wild Slash. So this deck seems weaker to Mono Red in particular because they can t- tempo your threats a lot more easily with their burn spells. Um, you know, you also have some cheap removal, which is nice. Your Wild Slashes are good in the matchup going back. Uh, but I worry about that. I love to see the Smuggler's Copters in this deck. You know, we've all had that issue where, like, you got to play your Legion War boss, or your Rebel Master on three, but you know the token's just going to die. And it's like kind of a feel bad. But now if you go, you know, if they kill your mana creature on one and you go copter on two and they leave back a blocker, you know, you have Rabble Master, make a token in combat before attacks, crew my copter. Now it can attack. So I get to you know keep it around and I'm crewing my copter efficiently uh, and I can you know set up for this big wide attack. So that this is a really good smuggler's copter deck. Uh, and, and that's been, you know, I think one of the premier cards in the format post once uh, the initial round of bans. So definitely good to be utilizing that card well. Uh, And then the other notable addition from Gruul is Embercleave. This is sort of this deck's version of Galta. You know, we don't have the big beefy creatures to power out the Galta, but Rabble Master and Warboss are very good at enabling Embercleave to be cast for a low cost. And they're good targets for it. The Rabble Master gets pretty big when it attacks, but easy to block down. When you Embercleave that sucker, you know, they take a big chunk. And then you have the other big green creatures. You got... Love Stark Beast, Questing Beast. Questing Beast is really good with Trample. Uh, and, and then even a couple copies of Hazaret. So I think Embergleave is really good in this deck. I think it's a really good idea to have, you know, these effects that can go over the top of the other green decks. So the Gruul version has Embergleave. The Simic version has, you know, Galta. Mono Green Devotion just has Nykthos sort of as it's go over the top. Plan. Uh, so that they all have that, something like that built in. That's great. Um, not sure like which one is better. I have some issue with the threats, but... In some, in, you know, in some instances, it is better to be getting some tokens out of your thing, even if it's uh, you know going to die to a wild slash. I, I think the big thing for me that separates Gruul from Simic and makes me like Simic a little bit more is that Gruul's mana is a lot worse. We talked on the early on the first episode about how enemy colored mana is so much better than friendly colored for aggressive decks, uh, and that's true here. You know, the Gruul list is four stomping ground, four game trail, and basics. And the Simic lets gets to play Yav Coast, Botanical Sanctum, and Breeding Pool, three really good dual lands. Uh, so, and, and this deck is even, you know, it's more red heavy. So, you know, the, the eight forest, four stomping ground is 12 sources for your mana creatures. And then four game trail, like you know, if you have game trail mountain, then it, you're, you're happy to have game trail to be casting your elves. Uh, but, you know, that's not a, a always ETB tapped uh, source for green, beyond tapped. So I actually think the Gruul list wants four once upon a time, more so to help its mana than anything else yeah so like for me you know i look at this deck and you see four rabble master and four war boss like you want to cast it on turn two like there's legacy decks trying to do this you know as quickly as possible like you want to make this happen and having four once upon a time ensures even more that you make this happen uh, you know uh, it is often as possible as what you want also there's lava coils in the sideboard of this deck and i think that's a card that's being slept on a little bit in this format in the red i in red decks i do think lava coil is very very important we're starting to see a lot of decks moving into um like this kind of build you know where they're trying to either have elf on one into a big drop on turn two or you're looking at the the mono black deck that won this event you know you're looking at the the deck that won this ptq and people are going to take take notice 
uh, Lava Coal kills every creature in this deck, and there's a lot of uh, stuff in here that gets value from the graveyard. You know, like we talked about Blood Soak Champion. We talked about, you know, uh, Murder's Rider going to the bottom of the library. You're talking about Scrappy Scrounger coming back. This card just answers these very cleanly and gets them out of the way. So that's a card that you can maybe even see going up to like three copies, depending on, you know, what the payoffs are for everybody. I, I sort of agree with you that removal spells like this are good, but I'd actually rather see Roast. I think killing Lovestruck Beast is too important. Lava that's a good important. That. That's a good... Uh, yeah, and like the, the recursive threats in the mono black deck, you can just trump by going bigger than them. So, you know, I, I think if you wanted something for that matchup, you'd be playing Magnus Bray instead. Uh, but here, I, I really want to see Roast. We, we're not seeing a ton of flyers. I think we keep talking about how Glorybringer is really good. And I know people, you know, who have been testing it and saying it's good, but we're not really seeing a ton of it show up in these tournaments. So, you know, until enough of them start showing up, I think we can focus on dealing with the ground pounders. Uh, and I'm, we're seeing a lot of love Stark beasts. This card has just been a staple of pioneer for the last week. So uh, I, I'd like to see. I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I told you, I love the way that it curves out with, especially the card smugglers copper, right? Like you just make a one, one on turn one, you know, just in more turn one plays, right? Like you just make the one, one smugglers copper crew it, and then make the five, five. You know, yeah. turn three, and you have your one one sitting around. You know, because you don't have to like be attacking some of it. I like it, and that's a curve that doesn't require a mana creature too, and it's still a really strong one. Yes, yeah, super great. If you if you look at the rest of the top eight, we have a lot of the uh, you know stuff that we've seen before. You know, like the hitters that we know about. Like fifth was strong, sad. So Todd Anshin with another amazing run in a PTQ, another like, undefeated Swiss. So and the Swiss of the two pioneer PTQs. I think it's safe to say and kind of like just like, you know, tongue like tongue in cheek or just making a joke about it that Strong Set is the greatest pioneer player of all time. Yep. Top of the list. This deck got two cards banned and he just went yeah. undefeated again. Yeah, you got one undefeated again. And then look at sixth place, uh, a deck really close to your own heart. Now you wrote you wrote an entire article yeah. about Star City Games last week, so people can go and find that if they want. I don't like looking the, at the, the Ornithopters in this list, but you know. But, you know, whatever. It's, it's got the, uh, we're talking about the Blue Red Insole Artifact deck that rounded out sixth place. Seventh place was an Arclight Phoenix deck. Um, nothing really jumping off the page here. This looks like, you know, pretty much the list we've been seeing. And I feel like this deck has found almost its final form. And, you know, we kind of talked about this. We do think this deck might be slightly overrated. Yeah. You know, not as good. I do think Thing in the Ice is good against these green decks still. Yeah. Like, Thing in the Ice is good. The deck, the rest of this deck I don't like and don't think it's good. But uh, Thing in the Ice is really strong. Um, that said, with a lot of, with Veil of Summer getting banned, you're going to see more Fatal Pushes. And that's bad. Thing. Agreed. And rounding out the top eight, we had another mono black deck, more like the Clyde the Glide Drexler version with four Soros, uh, Soren, Imperious Bloodlord, and kind of like the Champion of Dusk package that we've seen. Uh, we've talked about this deck on almost every episode of the cast. If you want to hear us talk about it more, you can go back and listen to some of the other copies. But, you know, not trying to say anything bad about the deck, just, you know, we've seen this before. Nothing really new going on here. Yeah, very close list. Yeah, now we can actually talk about the other tournament that went on at Pioneer this weekend. There was a challenge that went on as well. And this hold one... On, hold on, Tim. Yeah, go ahead. One more ahead. deck I want to talk about. Sure. It's a really cool one. If you scroll a little bit further down, 11th place, Flodius. This is uh, uh, Eric Rill, who, um, whose claim to fame is being the person that you would never guess is one of the like handful of people with five open wins. Mm -hmm. He has five. In like nine top eights, yeah. he does always one. He's... He's also a straight murderer. Like, like the guy's just one of the best magic players I've I've seen in a long time. That is very unassuming, like you said. What place was this? Eleventh. Eleventh. Okay, I'm pulling it up now. Go ahead. He also is one to brew, and he did bring a brew to this PTQ. 
He actually lost playing for top eight to Todd Anderson in the last round. Uh, and so made a very deep run. And you see this? It's his take on a green devotion deck. You see four copies of Nick, Shrine to Nick's. But he is going a very different way with it. You know, yeah. we've got four Elvish Mystic, four Land Royals, four Once Upon a Time. So the core is there. But this is actually an Elf Devotion deck with Dwinan's Elite, Elvish Clan Caller, Elvish Visionary, and four Shaman of the Pack. These courses will look a little bit weird, but it's a collected company deck. So it's a nice three drop for that. You know, helps dig you towards Nykthos. But we're also playing three Court of Calling. And there's only, you know, no, normally you're courting for Shaman of the Pack, I would guess. There's one scavenging used to disrupt graveyards, gain a little life. That's nice. But there's a neat little one of here, which is this deck sort of go over the top mechanism. And it's one teamer Sabretooth. You know, people who don't know this card, it's two green green for a four three. And you can pay Colas and a green and return another creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, teamer Sabretooth gains indestructible until on a turn. So if you have a ton of mana, you can start bouncing your own Dwinan's Elite, recasting them, making a bunch of elves. You can start bouncing your Elvish Visionary, recasting it, drawing a bunch of cards. I did that for years with Wirewood Symbiote, so I know how powerful that can be. And the most powerful, you can start bouncing your Shaman at the back and recasting it and just drain your opponent out without attacking. You know, maybe you can get your things big because you can, you know, find a bunch of clan callers. That's another good mana sink. But this deck can just win outside of the combat step, which is really nice. And between Court of Calling, Collected Company, and Once Upon a Time, it digs for its pieces really hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think this deck is really cool. It's really interesting. I'm not sure about 11 instants in your collected company deck. That's something I'm a little worried about. Yeah, creatures. That's a good count. Yeah, I know. It's just like, yeah, yeah. It's just depending on like how you sideboard in certain matchups, I'd be a little worried here or there. But it is kind of cool that he gets to have like actual removal spells in his sideboard. You know, he's got like Fatal Push so he can interact with the other green decks. You know, kind of break serve if he's on if he's on the draw versus one. So no, I like this deck a lot. I have a local player who plays like pretty much this deck all the time. I have died to Shaman of the Pack so many times. So I know how powerful this I is. I definitely like the one of Westvale Abbey as something to tutor for with once or dig for with once upon a time. That's another way to go mm-hmm. over the top of these green decks. You just make a what was this card's name? The demon? Ormondal. Oh god. Or or yeah, Sorry, Ormondal. I should have made, I should have made you guess. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I, it would have taken me a minute, but so I, I I don't I don't know about this deck. Um, you know, I think there are games where you just fall behind to their big things and you get crushed. But I think there are also games that goes the other way, where like you just ignore what they're doing and get them dead with your shaman of the packs. And you know, the fact that they played a bunch of big creatures doesn't really matter a lot. Um, I do think the deck's a little weak to walking ballista. That's a problem. Uh, so specifically against green devotion, but against the other green decks, like you should be able to hold your own. So this is a, a cool take once again, you know, a, a sort of another version of the green deck, but I, I like the idea of looking for really powerful synergies to assemble in order to combat these other green decks that are really just playing a lot of heavy hitters. Because I think we've determined that the green decks are going to be winning if you're fighting pound for pound. So you need to start, you know, tag teaming them, getting your cards to be more than the sum of their parts and, you know, finding these powerful synergies because these decks don't have a lot of removal. You know, even the Gruul deck, it, it plays, what, like two Wild Slashes in the main and one Bone Crusher Giant. So, like, they're, yeah, they're not killing it. a lot of stuff. The Simic deck is a Simic deck. It's not killing anything, you know? Maybe they have Wicked Wolf or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, your cards are going to sit on the battlefield, and if they come together to do something, you know, really, really overwhelmingly powerful, that, that's a good place to be right now. So I'm mm-hmm. interested by this deck. And uh, so 
I, I assume we're done now so we can move on to the uh, the pioneer challenge you don't want to have to like slow me down again but uh we we talked about green and how we think it's you know it's still good even after all these bannings and boy did we get a confirmation in this top eight you know, um th- last week todd went 10-0 in the swiss of the ptq yeah. lost in the finals and yeah, then so let me the next day like two people top forward or top aided with the green devote yeah. deck his list and then the one the challenge was won by it same thing happened so not just that it was three of the top four and then it was also let me get this right sixth place and seventh place so you're looking at five of the top eight yeah was was monogreen devotion and, and ninth. yeah and ninth exactly i was gonna say there there's what there was one more really high up too so if you're looking at you know, we talked about it earlier, like things to, to ban or whatever. And you're like, oh, look, you know, they took two cards from already and a sideboard card. It's like, well, apparently we haven't done enough. <laughs> uh, this deck is everywhere. So we're not going to talk too much about those, but I do want to talk about the second place deck. And I hope I'm getting this right, but I'm pretty sure Jeff Hoogland kind of came up with this deck. You know, we retweeted it from um, our Twitter account uh, when he was, I think he went like 9-1 on stream with this. Like he had a 5-0 and a 4-1. I've deemed this um, spicy spaghetti uh, it's like just a, a funny way to a funny way to call it, but this is a blue. Can we call it uh, spaghetti arrabbiata? Sh- sure, but arrabbiata is the, the spicy tomato sauce. Yeah, but like I just spicy because like when you look at this deck, it is spicy. Like there is some some stuff going on here. I'm gonna I'm just gonna read the deck off to the people at home. So there's two Chandra uh, Torture Defiance this deck, but then we're getting into a bunch of four ofs. There's four Bone Crusher Giant, four Brazen Borrower, four Elder Deep Fiend. Four Flame Wake Phoenix, four Rekindling Phoenix, two Champion of Wits, four Is It Charm, four Codes Luck Return, four Lightning Axe. That's the deck. Bunch of red blue lands. There's some Mutavaults in there. There's Wandering Fumeral, red blue lands. So its early interaction is stuff like Lightning Axe and Is It Charm, but you can also be discarding stuff like Flame Wake Phoenix to that because you can get some value of it um, coming back. Um, you got Elder Deep Fiend coming off the bodies of Flame Wake Phoenix and, and Rekindling Phoenix where you're still getting value. Of those creatures and then you got extra ways to discard uh your kozilek's returns so you make sure you sweep up the board when you're casting your elder deep fiend and then you've got four bone crusher giant four brazen bar to help like kind of stem the bleeding and keep the the board clear because this deck doesn't do a lot until turn three but then it starts doing really powerful things this deck is super cool super innovative it's like very very new and i've heard a lot of people actually trying this out and doing really well with it so, like, this is a new deck that might actually be a real thing. I've got to say, when I first saw Jeff tweet this deck, I looked at it and dismissed You dismissed it, yeah, right? I was like, this same like a complete pile. And then I just stared at it. Did you do the same thing? I just stared at it and tried. I was like, what does this deck do? Yeah. You know, like, before, yeah. And then the more I saw it, I was like, this deck is carefully put together, I think. Yeah, and well, th- so there's two things going on about this deck that I really like. And they're sort of a, a combo. Uh, and, you know, like I said, assembling synergies is, is going to be good against these green decks. And that synergy is Elder Deep Fiend and Kozlex Return. Because the triggered ability of Kozlex Return is super powerful, incredibly powerful against these green decks. Uh, and the front end is good, too, by the way. Yeah, the front end is pretty good. But it's it's the back end that's the real payoff. Yeah, of course. And Elder Deep Fiend is also really good. You know, they're playing a bunch of 5-4s and 5-5s. Elder Deep Fiend's a 5-6. So, you know, the perfectly sized here. And so when we're casting that on turn four, you know, you're, you're buying time by tapping their stuff down for a turn. Then you get to untap and start doing stuff with, you know, you know, Petty Theft or Bone Crusher Giant or, you know, returning, you know, Flame Phoenixes or whatever. Uh, Rekindling Phoenix is a nice blocker against these green decks. Pretty bad against Oko, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? 
Um, but I like, you know, when I first looked at the deck, I saw, is it charm and lightning axe and not a whole lot to discard with it. I'm still a little concerned there, particularly with, is it charm? But I think this deck is so dependent on getting Kozilek's Return and Elder Deep Fiend assembled that it really needs to, you know, play sort of enablers for that synergy. I don't think, like, an is it mid-range deck playing adventure creatures and rekindling Phoenix is going to win a lot of games. You know, it can occasionally. Uh, it's not completely embarrassing because the cards are good. But, you know, the Elder Deep Fiend Kozilek's Return games are the, what you're looking for. So, you know, Lightning Axe and Is It Charm are kind of inefficient, but they do help you assemble the most powerful aspect of your deck. Absolutely. I do think this deck is really cool. It's something you can definitely look into. Um, you've got these cards lying around. Uh, it's a little sweet. There's a lot of mythics in this deck, so it's not super cheap. But uh, I do think this one's really cool and possibly could be poised to be pretty good in this format. Like you're, you're talking about, I really do think Kozilek's Return is, a, is an, a card that hasn't been tapped into yet and is very, very powerful that we can look at. So definitely a deck to keep on your radar. Uh, one of the other decks that showed up in this, we see our first control deck. In a while, um, we see what is, um, let me make sure this is actually just, I think it was just straight blue-white. Yeah, it's just, just straight blue-white control. A deck that I told you actually impressed me. I played this last week at a local event, went undefeated. Um, this one's a little bit different build, but the Planeswalkers are all really good together. You know, this one's got like Elspeth Sun's Champion, which by the way, she's still the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs> she was very, very good in, in standard of her time. She still just wins games. Doesn't stop like, getting the champion or questing beast. Yeah, but it's pretty- still really good. She can kill him. Yeah, I guess you might. I'm just delay, delay. You still got you got Gideon the Trial, Chase Architect, Thought Teferi, uh, Hero Dominaria, and Teferi Time Raveler. And here you've even got a Gear Hulk. But the big thing for me is this: this is just a good Supreme Verdict deck. You've got four Supreme Verdicts in this deck. This is a card that the green decks don't interact well with. We see some copies of like Heroic Intervention in their sideboard, but that card's kind of anemic and not great to begin with. And then you're just looking at a bunch of you know counter spells and card draw. So I'm not sure uh controls really where you want to be right now because it's so hard to be able to answer everything that the green decks are doing you know if they're the aggro version or the ramp version they're going over the top of you or i will say this i don't know if i'd want to play against that blue red deck as a control deck that deck is resilient its threats are very good it's very good at playing at the end of your turn it's got at least eight flash threats main you know you've got some burn spells you've got some reach chandra still is a very good card against control decks at killing them so not sure how i like it in that format but this is a deck that i had a lot of fun with and i thought was probably just underplayed honestly yeah i do think supreme verdict is really well positioned you know i talked about how much i like kozilek's return supreme verdict similarly just very good against these green decks they're playing to the battlefield so hard so and you know their creature their creatures are not very resilient the devotion deck has some planeswalkers you know you're gonna have to dance around those a little bit but for the most part supreme verdict a very effective card in this metagame I'm not a big fan of basically the other cards <laughs> in Control. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. But if, as long as you start with Supreme Verdict, for Supreme Verdict, uh, which you see here, there's something there. So uh, uh, I think Azorius, you know, base Azorius, because of the power of Verdict, is where you should be if you're a Control Dex. And, you know, everything else isn't really set in stone. We see Disallow as the counterspell of choice here. A lot of, you know, variants, one sensor, one Dovin's Veto, one Negate, a lot of planeswalkers in this build you know so there's still a lot of things up in the air in terms of the way the azorius decks are going to be built but they're all starting on four supreme verdict which should tell you like that's the reason they're playing azorius control deck yeah Uh, i do want to give a shout to one of the mono green decks uh that's in the top eight uh trudon at sixth place nice friend of the cast good friend of mine um 
awesome. Good job. He got six place. His is a little bit different. He has murderous gear Hulk main. Uh, I definitely want to ask him at some point, you know, what was, you know, that about, was it really good? You know, I, I don't, I, I don't have any insight myself, but you know, we've talked a lot about mono green. It also got seventh place. I do want to talk about the eighth place list though. It's the, um, what a lot of us have deemed the blue white good stuff deck. You're just looking at like four Gideon allies in the car, four to very time raveler, three Archangel Avison, four Brazen Borrower, four Reflector Mage, two Selfless Spirit, four Spell Queller, four Three Minute Spectre. Some people have two Decoration Stones. This is where you see a lot of the flex slots and four Smuggler's Copter. Like this is the deck. Um, if you're interested in this deck before we get into it, because I do think this deck is good. I think it's like very playable, very good. If you're into it, um, Dylan Hovey has been playing this deck a lot. Nice friend of the cast, very good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Groovy Hoovy on Twitter. And he pretty much has an article up on his Twitter about it. Because he's been playing the deck for about a week straight. He has like four or five five O's with it. And you can kind of watch him go through the progression of why he's playing certain cards. Plus, he has like in-depth tweets about it. Like everyone is using like max characters. You know, he's writing paragraphs about like, hey, I like this. This card's replaceable. This is why I like this kind of thing. So if you were a fan of the Smuggler Copter uh, Thraven Inspector interaction or the Spell Queller Reflector Mage interactions in the past, this is a deck for you. This kind of plays like Blue White Flash. It's got, you know, some pretty robust and powerful draws. Plus, Archangel Avacyn is still a messed up magic card. So this is another deck that's like, I think going to start showing up in some numbers, but I don't think it's going to get super I definitely popular. think this deck is going to start showing up. I actually think it's going to be more popular than it should be. Uh, you know, this is very, you know, this is derivative of the Azorius Flash deck. That was very good in standard until Smuggler's Copter was banned uh, during Kaladesh. Um, basically just adding Brazen Borrower and Teferi Time Raveler to that shell. But everything else, I think, is from that standard deck. Um, you know, it's a lot of powerful cards. Some tricky cards that, like, you know, if you play into, you get blown out. And I think those are the kind of decks that the um, better players in the field will often gravitate towards. The thing with this deck, though, I it's a deck where, like, you know, if you mess up against it, like, you, you get really punished. But if you don't mess up against it, it's kind of mopey. This deck's curve is a little high. There's a lot of threes. Yeah, you can cast Petty Theft on turn two, but that's not great. You know, Gideon Ally of Zendikar, I've been not that impressed with in Pioneer. I think it's a little bit below the curve uh, and pretty easy to attack down. Um, you know, if you don't really have Smuggler's Copter, this deck doesn't generate a ton of pressure, uh, which is a problem because it really doesn't have something super powerful going along unless it sets up Avacyn plus Selfless Spirit. Um you know, there's, there was a, a funny dynamic that I saw back when this deck was in Standard where, you know, a, a lot of the good players really liked the Azorius deck and a lot of the great players didn't really like the Azorius deck. And I think the, the good players were used to sort of farming some of the weaker people, especially on the SCG Tour, and the really great players that were playing against other great players on the Pro Tour and in the last rounds of Grand Prix were sort of struggling because they weren't getting the people to, you know, make the misplays into their cards. Uh, you know, I haven't had a lot of trouble dispatching this deck with basically whatever I'm playing. Uh, but I also, you know, I, I've tried this deck out as well, and I, I won a fair bit with it. But nothing it's doing looks really like that great to me. And I think the big thing is that Gideon is much worse than it was in Standard. I think this deck is still good when it was in Standard, yeah. but that's because Gideon was excellent then. It's just not great in Pioneer. I mean, people talked about banning Gideon in that Standard, like... That's how good that card was. So uh, I, I do think that deck is going to show up, and I, I just don't think... I think it's fine. Uh, maybe it's I'm fine, wrong. Man. I don't know. 
Um, but that, there's two things a little further down that I wanted to note. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think we want to start off with the, the 13th place list. And so this is a pretty cool deck. I just wanted to point out, this one's got one of the cool combinations that we're starting to see take over a little bit of standard. It's actually starting to make its way into all the Simic decks where we have this cool little engine of Cauldron Familiar and Witches Oven, and this is kind of brewed into a deck that you like. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I love that pair. I, I just, I don't know what, I don't know why. I For some reason, I just really like it. And I love that it's now showing yeah. up in standard and doing really well. Um, this list, you know, you can't really just put those two cards into any old deck, but this list in particular, you can like pitch the call of familiar and like return it, which is nice. But the witches oven also gives you a way to sacrifice stitcher supplier. Like once you have a way to sacrifice stitcher mm-hmm. supplier, the card gets really good. Um, so you're a little bit better at enabling the graveyard. The deck also uses Emery as a graveyard enabler, which is good when you have copter and witches oven that you can rebuy with it. You also have scrap heap scrounger. Uh, so 12 artifacts to help that out. And then, I haven't been that impressed with Haunted Dead Prized Amalgam, but I do, as we mentioned earlier with the Izzet deck, think that Elder Deep Fiend is great right now. And Haunted Dead Prized Amalgam plays really well with Elder Deep Fiend. So, you know, this deck, because of Deep Fiend, has a way to close out the game once it generates its value. Uh, you know, Witches Oven also helps Fatal Push out a lot, by the way. Um, so we should be good against removal decks with our, like, you know, lots of value creatures the way Mono Black Aggro is. Uh, but we also have this like, pretty good plan to sort of go over the top of the green decks, and that's with Elder Deep Fiend. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how consistent it is. I, I know early on I wasn't happy with the graveyard decks because they didn't seem consistent enough at enabling their synergies, but having a way to sacrifice supplier helps there, and Emery being a really powerful graveyard enabler helps there. So this is the kind of deck that I hope is good, but I am cautiously optimistic about. Yeah, and I got to say this, like, you know, I was very disappointed with the prized amalgam decks in the past because they didn't have a lot of ways to trigger prized amalgam for the graveyard. But this deck's got 12, right? Like you got Scrap Heap Scrounger, Haunted Dead, Cauldron Familiar, all of which can trigger a Scrap Heap Scrounger. I mean, sorry, a prized amalgam, which is pretty cool. Like just getting that extra value off of your Stitcher Supplier because this gives you more nut draws which is what this deck needs to be doing more of to keep up with like, you know, the green decks and stuff in this format. So I definitely think this deck is cool. I like that you pointed it out. Yeah, definitely a deck that can, that has, yeah, has nut draws, you know, those like double and triple amalgam draws, even against a bigger creature or two uh, are cool. And I think everybody recognized that like there was some pretty good graveyard payoffs, but it was just hard to make them all work. Uh, And maybe this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And you had one more that you really liked, right? Like the, the 14th, yeah, 14th place, place Grixis Dragons deck. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I think Cylindra Scorn is a very good card because of, you know, this was a cycle of dragon payoffs for those that didn't play standard around this time. And uh, there are, some, there are, I guess it's playing the black one too. It's playing Foul Tongue Invocation. There was Cylindra Scorn, Foul Tongue Invocation, uh, uh Ojitai's whatever. The the zero four like white green. Yeah, the all of them that had flash. Ojitai's familiar, yeah. maybe something like that. I wasn't playing uh, this time. But so like th- that one was a wall was a you know uh I think it had flying too. I think it was a flying flash wall. It's a flying it's a flying wall of yeah that yeah. only drew a card if you had a dragon or revealed a dragon. So really bad card if you don't have one, but a very good card if you do. Uh and that was a problem that it, like it was just too dichotomous. Uh, and, and there was two, the floor was too low on the card because you can't put that many dragons in your deck. They're pretty expensive. So you needed the, the ones that were best when you didn't have a dragon, but still good when you did. That's what Sylvangar Scorn is. 
you know, on turn two, your your four spike is probably going to work a good deal of the time. You know, people are playing a sensor. Uh, but then later in the game, when your dragon has already been cast or you've had enough time to find it, you have an actual factual counter spell. That's really good. Foul Tongue Invocation, pretty similar. You know, th- three mana edict, not great, but three mana edict, but still, you know, playable. Three mana edict, gain for life, really good. Um, you know, the red one was similar. Two mana, three to a creature, playable. Two mana, three to a creature, three to them. That's Searing Blaze. That's a modern staple. So, um, you know, I, I think finding a way to play Sylvangar Sargorn is good. And in particular, you know, we've talked about Glorybringer being a really good card. That's a dragon. So we see four copies of Glorybringer here. This is not, you know, a true control deck that's trying to play a super long game. It's trying to get ahead and close and, and you know, play disruptive early and then turn the corner and close the game out. Um, the other dragon, Nicol Bolas the Ravager, a card that always sort of underperformed in standard, but, you know, it has some things going for it in Pioneer. The removal doesn't really match up that well against it. Uh, you know, it, having flying is really important. I think the ground is getting gummed up a lot in these games. So flying is really good. And then, you know, this deck doesn't have a super high curve, but if you do get to the light game, Nickel Bolas is a card that can take over if you get to, you know, activate it and transform it. So I like the the eight dragons in the deck. You know, the removal package is very flexible. I think 3k commands a little high, but, you know, we've got our shocks, we've got our fatal pushes, we've got our thought seizes. I think Angrass Rampage and or Dreadbore are really solid options to help deal with Planeswalkers. I think I would rather see Dig Through Time over Treasure Cruise here, but I like seeing some number of Delve cards um, to take advantage of that mechanic. So I like a lot of what's going on here. Uh, not a big fan of midrange decks in general, but this is one of the more intriguing midrange decks I've seen. Yeah, I got to say, I look at it. I like the list a lot. You know, like you said, it's intriguing, right? I want these decks to be good. Every time I see them, like, this is cool. I love Grix's color combinations uh, for obvious reasons. You know, I... I I've always kind of gravitated towards this type of deck. A lot of like, it's a mid range deck that isn't straightforward. You know what I mean? Like you're not looking at like John where you're like, kill that, kill that, attack you, attack you. Like you have a lot more play, you know, there's removal plus counter spells, plus planeswalkers, plus cool thing going on. I don't know if it's good. <laughs> I try not to be a naysayer, but like, cause the mana is usually never great in these decks. And like, you know, if you don't draw the right half of your deck, it has that, it has that problem involved, but you know, maybe this one is, and it looks really cool. And I'm like you. I'm, I'm waiting to see more glory bringers, you know, going on because they, they seem sweet. So it's definitely a deck to look out for. And speaking of decks to look out for and what we expect, what do you think are going to be the really popular decks going into the Invitational this weekend? Because that's the next big thing going on Pioneer. I know you've got the event coming up yourself. I'm not going to be attending, but that's going to be very heavily watched this weekend. You know, it's probably going to have like one of the bigger viewerships, if not the biggest viewership for a Pioneer event to this date. And I want to know what you think is going to be the like you know the the most played decks because I have you know in my mind like we know Mono Green is probably going to be the most played deck but do you think anyone's going to you know switch you know what do you think the top teams are going to be doing? Um, it's hard to say what I think the top teams are going to be doing. Yeah, you know there are individuals they have a lot of you know there's a lot of variants there. I do agree with you. I think Mono Green Devotion and you know other green sort of stompy decks. That's that's your tier zero. That's your default best deck. So I think a lot of people are going to be on it. Uh, so a lot of land where elves. Yes, a ton of land where elves, a ton of once upon a time. That's what you should be prepared to be seeing uh, the most of this weekend. Beyond that, 
there's a lot of decks on the fringe. I think this black aggro deck that won the PTQ is good and will show up. I think Azorius Flash will show up in pretty significant numbers. I think Hardened Scales will show up. I think Azorius Control decks of various stripes will show up. I think we'll see, you know, a reasonable number of mono red decks, which are always sort of on the fringe. Uh, and if you look through like the top 32 of these tournaments, you still see a handful of red decks. I think we will see a good deal of the Is It and Soul deck because I, I do think that deck is still good. And then, uh, you know, I, I, that those decks, I think, will all be, you know, two to five percent, um, sort of. I think we're going to see a pretty wide open field. And then beyond that, there's a lot of just it's anybody's game. How good is this? Is it a merge deck? Maybe, you know, that shows up in bigger numbers than we think. I think that one will be smaller, but uh, should do well. Um, you know, yeah. How much does hardened scales show up? Another, another deck that had a lot of press last week. You know, it's it's a good walking Blissa deck, which we've seen walking Blissa can do a lot of work against mono green. Yeah, I, I do think walking Blissa is still very good. Um, you know, is is it Phoenix poised for a comeback? You know, we, we you and I had a conversation a couple of days ago about like, do you think is it Phoenix has a chance to actually be a player again? Because you can build your deck in a way that it's good against creature decks. Yeah, you know, like if it's like when shock is well positioned, you know, you're still just so dependent on thing in the ice. I I, I think yeah. is it uh, emerge deck they is doing very similar things to is it Phoenix, but just better. It's just more powerful and proactive. Yeah, uh, and okay, I could I could buy not that. as dependent on assembling and synergies. I know I stress them, but I think you know this deck is a lot more able to win games without K return and Elder Deep Fiend than the is it Phoenix deck is able to win games without thing in the ice. You know, I will say this, the, the reason that I, I just keep looking at the, the is it deck, the spicy spaghetti deck, because I like to call it, um, the more I look at it, the more I like, I'm sorry, it's spaghetti arrabbiata. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Fun to but, say, just say it. Say it again. Spaghetti arrabbiata. Spaghetti arrabbiata. Okay. I've never had spaghetti arrabbiata in my life. I've Very never good. heard of that. So. But well, I, I don't I, think it's usually done with spaghetti, but. I'm not sure. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take your word for it. I'll definitely have to try it out sometime soon. But the thing I like about this is you have eight cards main deck that can deal five damage to a creature. And we're starting to see that to become very important in this format. You're seeing a lot of big creatures start to creep in, a lot of love struck beats and stuff like that. And you're seeing Lightning Axe and Kozilek return to this. If you're not playing those cards, you need to be packing Roast or something like that for this weekend for, for the green matchups. Like you said, ground's getting gummed up. People are playing bigger creatures. You need to be able to kill them if you're not playing something that straight up kills a creature. Yeah. So, you know, I do like where this deck is. I, you know what? I, I want to play. I'm going to bar this deck after the uh, after the podcast. tonight. I might put this through the paces a little bit. Yeah. You know, we're 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 starting to see people react to the existing metagame. You know, the first week was people just throwing things at the wall and seeing what they thought was powerful. The second week is that, is that hold on. Was that another was that another pasta joke? <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm hungry now, too. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Second week was, you know, a couple decks emerging and rising way above everything else in Mono Green Devotion and Meow Mix. Uh, the, the third week was those decks getting banned and people sort of going back to the wall. And but they weren't going back to the wall blind. You know, by that point, we had seen some things that really failed and some things that were intriguing. So we've now gotten to the point where like, yeah, everybody knows once upon a time, Lana Rell's Elvish Mystic is a strong core. You got to be prepared to kill these things. You know, they're starting to play a bunch of five, five creatures and big things. So we need the right removal spells. So, you know, all these abrades we've been playing or whatever, you know, other weird removal that hasn't really matched up that well. 
you know, that's getting tossed to the wayside. The white spot removal is really bad. So people aren't really playing a lot of those. So, but the, the red removal that is seeing play, you know, like you said, lightning axe, Kozilek's return, dealing five damage, making sure you can kill these big green creatures that the elves are powering out. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, there, there's been a lot of quibbling about, you know, the fact that the removal isn't good in Pioneer. I think the reality was that the threats are, are always a little bit ahead in the early days. And we just hadn't had enough time for people to find the right removal to react to the threats that people were playing. And now we're starting yeah. to see that happen. It's a very good point. And uh, I'm going to keep us kind of on theme with the, the, the pasta jokes and all this stuff have been going on. Cause this is the part of the show that I think everybody really came for. <laughs> you know, they, they want to hear us. They want to hear us talk about pioneer, but here's what they really want. They want to know the deets on where they're eating this week. Ross, there are going to be people there, a lot of people there, three, four days going on. Not a lot of options exactly inside of the site. There's a couple, which is pretty cool. You know, there's a couple of restaurants that get to come into the site, but, you know, people are going to be going out. They're going to be eating breakfast. They're going to be eating dinner. You know, we talked about a couple of things last week, but we want to make sure that everybody knows uh, where they should be eating in Roanoke this week. Okay. So the tournament's at the Berglund Center, just sort of in the center of town. Um, and it's along a major road. It's called Williamson. Just south of the Berglund Center is downtown Roanoke. There's a lot of stuff downtown, and that's a lot of what I know because I live just outside of downtown. Yeah, you can walk to a lot of yes. this too. There's a few, so you can walk to a lot of the downtown stuff from the Berglund Center. If you're in one of the hotels around that area, you're usually on the other side of the Berglund Center because that's where the, a lot of the hotels are, but it's still pretty walkable or a very short Uber. Uh, so um, if we start downtown, there... Uh, there's really one good breakfast place there and it's Breadcraft. It's a bakery um, that does some uh, a li- sort of limited breakfast menu. There's some egg dishes and stuff like that. Uh, but the bakery is the real draw. Their croissants are, are unbelievable. Agreed. Like unbelievable. Um, so if you want one by the site, I would go there. If you have a car, there's a couple other places for breakfast. There's one a little south of downtown uh, on Franklin Road called um first watch this is a regional chain i believe because i think there's a couple in north carolina but uh, a recent open i think it's only been there for a year if that um but it has become a favorite of uh of the ories as i call them as a uh, mike versus live co-host cory baumeister and his fiance tori um so uh we're just a there's nothing oh well it's a little hipstery i will say uh, there's avocado toast on the menu, uh, but the food is very good. Um, and it, you got your normal breakfast stuff. You know, uh, if you want pancakes, you can get that. If you want an omelet, you can get that. Um, but, but very good. I would recommend that. And then scratch biscuit company, which is in an area called Grandin village, uh, about two and a half miles from downtown. Uh, so a short drive. Uh, but it is exactly what it says. They make biscuits and they make them very well. And they are very cheap. So if you're looking for a cheap and very delicious breakfast, I would go there where you can get your bacon, egg and cheese biscuit for like four bucks, like four fifty. I do. I do uh, like those. March. Do not be fooled and think, oh, this only costs four fifty. I need to get two of them. That's what I did the first time I went there. I ordered three different things and I had two meals. <laughs> Sounds like you just played it right, actually. Yeah, no, it was ended up being smart. But scratch biscuit is very good. So those are the, my three wrecks for breakfast. Um. During the tournament, I have one very strong recommendation. If you walk out of the Berglund Center and turn left, 
you'll be traveling north along Williamson Road. And you come to a major intersection that is the intersection with Orange. And if you stay in Williamson, keep going north, just past that intersection, and on your right is a small white brick building, and it is a Viet Sub. It's a tiny little place, and they do pho and banh mi. And a named Viet Sub, they're known for their banh mi, and that's what I would recommend. Uh, also, dirt cheap. The sandwiches are like 4 to $5, unless you get the one that has like every meat on it, and then it's like an extra $2. Um, but there's like the traditional one with the Vietnamese ham. Uh, there's uh, barbecue pork. There's honey pork. Uh, I think there's a meatball one. There's a veg veggie one uh, for you vegetarians. Uh, but just traditional, you know, real deal banh mi is very good. Um, so that's the one place that's really close to the site. Like if you call them and put your order in as you're leaving, you can walk there and back in like 10 minutes between around. Uh, and I've done that before. <laughs> so believe me, you can do it. Um, uh, everything else you sort of have to drive to, um, or, you know, uh, will be a long enough walk that you can't do it between rounds, but definitely hit up Viet Sub if you can. They are closed on Sundays and they close at seven. So you can't get it late. Um, but Viet, Viet Sub is excellent. Um, other things around town. If you go way up Williamson road towards the star city game center, so say you're there on uh, on Thursday for the LCQs. If you, you know came down with a friend or two that's qualified, you're trying to get in yourself, uh, and you're you're looking to eat around there. There's a Cuban restaurant called Cuban Island that is very good. Service usually takes a while, uh, so block off some time for it. But also a good budget option. Most of the entrees there are like eight to twelve dollars, um, and you know a lot, good portion, and it's very very good. Just real deal Cuban food. Um, then moving back to downtown, we have a good Indian restaurant called Nawab. There is a very good Italian restaurant called Fortunato. That's going to be on the pricier side of things. Um, though if you're in early on Wednesday, they do half price pizza if you dine in on Wednesday night. Um, so Fortunato, great. Uh, Nawab, great. Um, Jack Brown's. This is your late night spot, though it's good for dinner too. That's Jack Brown's beer and burger joint. Uh, so they're open till 2 a.m. every day, seven days a week. Uh, they have burgers, fries, and a deep fried Oreo on the menu. That's it. And they serve nothing but beer uh, to drink and water and soft drinks. Uh, but like they don't have a full bar. It's a beer and burger joint. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the burgers are American Wagyu beef um, or like Wagyu style. Um, and so the, the beef quality is very high. Um, so I generally, like they have a lot of specialty burgers. Uh, there's a, you know, it changes daily, which one they have. And then they have a few regular ones on the menu. But before I stopped eating meat, I would usually just get a regular cheeseburger from them because the quality of the beef was so high. I didn't think it needed toppings. Uh, so, uh, I would recommend doing the same. Um, if you are vegetarian, like I am, they do have a vegetarian option on the menu, which is called the Frankie Brady. That is a grilled cheese with macaroni and cheese and barbecue potato chips on it. Yum. It's great. You can also get a burger served that way. It's called the Greg Brady. So if you are a carnivore, don't worry. You can get that on a burger. Sounds great. Um, yeah. So a very simple, just very good. Um, what else do I recommend? I like, and then Martin's. Um, that's just a, like a good bar. Their food is good. Um, the best thing that they, they have a lot of stuff. They have a pretty big menu, but the, be the absolute best thing they have is their mac and cheese. There's a few different ones. I always got the truffle mac and cheese. 
um, because it's vegetarian, but they have a fried chicken one. They have a crab one. They have regular four cheese mac and cheese. Uh, that's generally what I recommend from them, though the wings are also good, including the cauliflower wings. But that's also just a fun bar. That's a live music, a lot of live music there every night of uh, SCG Con, except Sunday when they're closed. Uh, there will be a band there. It's usually a small cover if you get there Friday or Saturday. Uh, they usually start the cover at nine, and it's probably five or ten bucks. And if you look on their website, you can find it. Um, but Martin's is always a strong recommendation for both uh, uh, dinner and for drinks afterwards, if that's what you're looking for. So I, th- I think that's a good small run rundown. Yeah, that was more than small. It was thorough. It was great. Thanks a lot yeah. for that. Um, I was like so, trying to think of like, go ahead. Uh, one thing I will say is that if you want to just uh, tweet at me, if none of those sounded particularly appealing or you're really jonesing for specific food and you want to uh, uh, you know, ask me, please feel free to tweet at me. Uh, and I'll try to respond to you if I see it in time. Um, and oh, and one other thing, one other place I, I can't not mention this one: Tacos Rojas. Oh yeah, the best tacos in Roanoke. It's a Mexican family making tacos in the back of a convenience store. If that doesn't sound awesome to you, then you clearly don't know what you're talking about. You don't uh, know tacos. <laughs> yeah, you clearly don't know tacos. Um, <laughs> the exciting thing, though, uh, so that they you know opened a convenience store and they're making tacos out of the back. Every time for the last three years since I've been going to the place, every time I go in, they have less space in the convenience section and more restaurant and more tables for people to sit down for the restaurant. So that goes to show you that they've been successful. They actually just bought a second location that opened up. It's downtown, so it's walkable from the site. It's in the city market building, which is this sort of building downtown with a bunch of restaurants sort of surrounding it. And then the center of it, they all have like windows, sort of like a food court. Uh, and it's pretty popular for lunch for people that work downtown. Uh, most of those places, if they don't have one of the spots that's on the corner and have space on the outside, close very early. Tacos Rojas, which has a location on the side, I think actually stays open pretty late there. Still like eight or nine is when they close, I think. Uh, you'd have to look that up. Um, but you can catch them uh, you know, downtown or you can drive to the location on 13th Street. Um, part of the reason I live in the apartment I live in is because it's only half a mile from Tacos Rojas. <laughs> sounds I'm, like just I'm good not, planning i'm not kidding yeah it is very good uh and i would particularly recommend the alpa store the carnitas and the uh shrimp tacos of course i don't eat those anymore but what i eat now there because i'm vegetarian is their breakfast menu which they serve all day um i'm not sure if they have I a little bit of voice it down, but uh the breakfast menu they have a green chili burrito that is filled with eggs cheese and potatoes and and refried beans and covered in green chili sauce. And it is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I love a place that serves their breakfast menu all day. I'm just a big fan of breakfast food at all times. Agreed. So, so definitely looking forward to that. Speaking of what I'm looking forward to. So this week's going to be interesting for me. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been like studying for my new job and I have to uh, like pass some tests, you know, to get my license before I can, you know, get my foot actually in the door and working. And y'all are making it really hard on me. Like there's the invitational this weekend. Anyone who knows me knows that like if I'm not at an event, I'm like avidly watching coverage. I love to watch it. Um, I'm going to be getting Disney Plus tomorrow because I want to watch The Mandalorian. You know, there's, there's so much there's so much stuff going on this week that's all like going against me. But I put in a solid like six or seven hours today. So I'm hoping to get enough of this done that I can just watch all of the pioneer and modern action this weekend. You know, what's funny. I think everyone's running into the same problem. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm testing pioneer and all this stuff. It, it's great. The format's fun. I can't wait to figure out what I'm playing this week. And they're like, what are you, what are you playing in modern? And they're like, 
what? (laughs) Excuse me, there's another format, you know? And yeah, I feel like, you know, people aren't trying to break modern right now, which is not a bad thing. Like, you know, like we know what like probably is the best deck in that. We're not going to go into that, but I'm saying like, yeah, try to get a leg up on, on pioneer here. And I think you're in a good spot. I agree. This weekend because I think there's a pretty big edge to be gained by going at pioneer, but also like if everyone is neglecting modern and I agree, they're doing that probably an edge to be gained just by like tuning your list really well and catching people a little, a little off guard. Um, but you know, there's just so much unexplored with the pioneer that ever and everyone's so excited about it. It, it has been kind of funny. I, I don't think I've talked to a single person about modern. Yeah, exactly. I haven't heard a word uttered about it. You know, no one's like, I can't wait for my modern deck this weekend. Everybody's like scrambling for pioneer yeah. cards. And what the, they're the only word I hear is like, yeah, I'm playing Simic Orza. I haven't really played yeah, with it, yeah, but it really seems cool. really good. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Playing the best deck. Yeah, whatever, you know, kind of thing. So, all right. I think it's about enough for us this week. Uh, I covered a lot of stuff, gave you all the really important information about, you know, where to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, and like how much time you have to make between each one of your runs. So, yeah, make sure that, uh, yeah, you keep that in mind when you're this weekend. You can, you can go wrong by not going to these places. So, just so you know, make sure you play well this weekend and go to the right restaurants and stuff. So, Ross, if people wanted to hear some more about your great restaurant choices in Roanoke or be able to just tweet at you, possibly uh this weekend where can they do that they can do that at at ross hunneds that's r-o-s-s-h-u-n-n-e-d-s like i said if you tweet at me about you know please don't ask me like you know i like a general what do you recommend i've given you recommendations here but if you have specific questions like i want to eat thai i like want very specific vegetarian like recommendations I want you know, a, a specific cuisine and, you know, if uh, applicable, a, a budget, um, I'll be happy to give you recommendations. Uh, and maybe also like if you have a car, like, you know, what your radius is. So things like that. So if you narrow it down a little bit, I'll be happy to help you. If you don't narrow it down, I will probably ignore you. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to do that. You can uh, also find me uh, co-hosting versus live. We are doing three shows this week for versus live which is rare the weekend of an invitational. We usually only do one, but we had so many special guests in town. Uh, we've already recorded after today's show aired. That was with Corey Baumeister and his brother, Brad Nelson. Uh, I'll be doing the show tomorrow. So sort of today, uh, unless we get this up tonight uh, with Corey. And then I have a special guest for Wednesday's show. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that. That's from one to four Eastern time at twitch.tv slash star city games. And I write an article every week for StarCityGames.com. Those go up on Tuesdays, so you can uh, that should be live by the time you're listening to this. Uh, and my article this week is all about what I'm calling the Green Triumvirate, Elvish Mystic, Lanor Elves, and Once Upon a Time. So why that core is so good, the evaluating the different decks that utilize it, and then how to combat it. So all about those things should be super relevant for this weekend. Uh, would be very appreciative if you hop over to Star City Games and give that a read. Um, and I think that's it. Am I missing anything, Tannen? No, I think you actually covered it all this time. I don't have to prompt you this time. Yeah. Um, Tannen's usually very good about that. <laughs> that's my job. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm super excited about the third episode this week because I think I know who the uh, the secret co-host is. And if I'm right, it's a doozy. And no, I'm not telling anybody. If You know what? If you uh, DM me on Twitter, you know, slide in those DMs, maybe, you know, PayPal me a little bit extra. I'll give you a, a little, I'll give you a little <laughs> what's what on who's going to be there. Shameless. Shameless tannin. <laughs> yep. Hey man, anything for a dollar, you know what I mean? But uh, anyway, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Wednesday's episode, if it's if it's who I think it is, which I think I'm right, it's a sweet one. So looking forward to that. Um, if you want to hear some more stuff from me, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, uh, on uh, at the Tannen Grace, 
is is my personal Twitter. We also have a Twitter for the cast. You can find it under Pioneer Cast or at Cast Pioneer. Both of them will pull it up. You're pretty easy to find on there. We also have a Discord for the show. The link for the Discord is right there on the Twitter if you want. So you can kind of just find your way in through there. Uh, our Discord is very active i think is the uh the best way to put this i cannot keep up i am uh usually glued i'm a typical uh like millennial whatever you want to call it i'm glued to my cell phone uh during the day and i cannot keep up with what's going on in our discord there's so much going on there we have about 20 different channels and there's more added all the time there is a special channel in there that you can only get in though if you're a part of our patreon which we really appreciate everybody at home that has already started to support us and if you wanted to be part of that you can join me going to patreon.com slash pioneer cast for the cost of what you spend on one coffee from Starbucks a month. You can help support our cast. We have to pay our wonderful, wonderful editor at home, Brent. He does so much hard work making sure this show gets out in a timely manner every week. Um, honestly, he has the hardest job. Ross and I have it easy. We just sit at our computers and talk at each other and talk about food and jazz basketball and random every now and then pioneer stuff so, jazz basketball it, they're playing right now so let's wrap this up yeah well we we just like the the the, the pelicans just lost so i, I don't want to hear it i well, didn't get to watch the second you should half be used to that by now because they suck yeah we're, we're real bad all right anyway hey zion's coming back man <laughs> give it some time you know but anyway uh so yeah if you want to you know help support the cast uh we got a two dollar and a five dollar tier the ten dollar tier is coming very soon uh, we're, we're working out the kinks on that should probably have it out either this week or next week and then possibly even some bigger ones from there we're gonna have some cool things uh, i have some stuff in the works uh for everybody at home that's going on um so we have the the patreon channel uh there as well so you get a little more uh hands-on for me and ross in that channel you know we're always a little more uh accessible in that channel as well especially everybody in there too has got some really good ideas there was a a deck list in there that ended up being pretty good i think i saw this is the first place i actually saw the spicy spaghetti list is whatever was actually on our discord you know someone's posting it like hey like hoogland was playing this and this deck actually looks pretty cool and so i like started to pay a little more attention i was like whoa i could have been a little bit ahead of this also in that patreon channel ross is going to be posting a list that he's going to be playing this weekend and i'm going to be posting what i would be playing if i was in the invitational this weekend as well so you'll be able to get that uh either the night of or the morning of the tournament so if you have a if you have a tournament yourself going on this weekend which ross should be posting this stuff on friday-ish since it's since the envy if you got one for this weekend, you can have the list that we're going to be playing. So if that one, you know, you're, you're waffling back and forth from a few, this might tell you what you should be playing or what you shouldn't be playing because, you know, we could be way off. But <laughs> anyway, uh, we really enjoyed uh, the last couple episodes for you all. It's been pretty hectic. We have another special episode uh, kind of set up. It, the guest that we were having has a hectic life going on right now and has been traveling all over the country. But we're trying to get that special episode for y'all where it's going to have like a nice financial um, subject going on in that episode. So we're trying to make that happen as soon as possible. Um, we're going to make it we're going to make it happen if we can. So I'm, I'm hoping that happens. So you're going to get a double episode week again sometime soon, hopefully. So maybe that's going to be coming on. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears open for that one. But with that, uh, Ross, this was a good one this week. Good luck this weekend at the Invitational. I wish you uh, all the best. Yeah. And uh, that does it for us. We'll see you next week.